The following is a recording for Reed Blakemore with the Atlantic Council of the U.S. on Friday, April 7, 2017 at 12.30 p.m. Central Time. Excuse me, everyone. We will now begin the call. Please be aware that each of your lines is now in a listen-only mode. At the conclusion of the discussion, we will open the floor for questions. At that time, instructions will be provided on how to proceed to ask a question. I would now like to turn the call over to Mr. Barry Pavel, who will introduce the call and then open a discussion with our speakers this afternoon. Mr. Pavel? Well, thanks very much. I'm Barry Pavel. I'm a Senior Vice President here at the Atlantic Council, and I am the Director of the Brent Scowcroft Center on International Security here. We're very excited to do this uh, very timely call. Uh, we, most of you know already there was a uh, Syrian forces used chemical weapons again. Um, it hasn't been internationally uh, legally demonstrated, but very, very, very likely. Um, these forces have been supported by, for quite a while, by the Russian government, by Russian military forces on the ground uh, in manifold ways. Um, this use of chemical weapons, where we, we, it has been reported, led to a relatively rapid decision by the Trump administration to use force. Um, and the, this use of force raises a lot of very important questions, I think, that are both broadly related to how the Trump administration will view uh, help will, will view U.S. roles in the world, uh, view the use of military force, uh, et cetera, but also some very specific questions regarding uh, the Middle East and the ongoing Syrian war. So, um, looking more broadly, in many ways, this is deja vu of 2013 and Obama's red line earlier in the week. We heard President Trump uh, say something to the effect of the use of the chemical weapons crossed some of my lines, uh, using very similar wording to President Obama. But unlike the Obama administration, uh, the Trump administration proceeded with a very limited operation aimed reportedly at deterring further chemical weapons use by Assad. Of course, the Obama administration's efforts that led to um, uh, a, a multilateral effort to get rid of serious chemical weapons. Uh, many were skeptical that all the chemical weapons had been uh, moved out of Syria, and indeed this seems to, to prove that that did not happen. The broad questions, I think, include many. This is the first use of force by the Trump administration since the limited Yemen raid. Um, the Obama administration, for most of its eight years, seemed to get out of the practice of the limited use of force for very precise and defined limited objectives. They, 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 they did not agree with the argumentation that the United States should deploy more forces to Syria. In many debates that I was privy to, they sort of said, do you want to put in another 200,000 forces and occupy another country again? Uh, and we're sort of saying it's either that or nothing. Uh, they obviously chose relatively nothing, but we'll hear more from uh, Fred Hopp on, on this call. Some specific questions, and then I'll turn to Ambassador Hopp. Uh, what might be the Trump administration's next steps in Syria? How does this reflect a broader strategy to deal with the Syria imbroglio? Wither Assad, uh, we heard some new statements from the administration regarding Assad over the last 12 to 24 hours. Will this use of force work? Will Assad be deterred from using chemical weapons again? And what might Russia's next move be? 
Russia already announced that it was withdrawing from the deconfliction arrangement in which uh, U.S. and Russian military forces deconflicted their operations so we didn't have planes crashing into each other and military operations crossing lines. Uh, men, much of the commentary that I saw on Twitter, in particular from former Obama administration officials about this, was that uh, the United States has to be very careful because this now creates new risks for us. My own view, since I'm not supposed to be a moderator here, but a commenter, is it also creates risks for Russia, and Russia doesn't want World War III any more than we would want World War III. So I think we should be very clear that um, overall this move increases the United States' leverage, and I don't think we want to lose any of that leverage. Indeed, we want to build on that so we can move this toward uh, a conclusion that is advantageous to U.S. interests and to the Syrian people. With that, um, let me introduce our, our two excellent speakers here today, uh, and we'll engage in the conversation. Ambassador Fred Hoff, uh, almost all of you certainly know, is the director of the Atlantic Council's pathbreaking Rafi Kariri Center for the Middle East. He was formerly special advisor for the transition in Syria in the U.S. government in 2012, uh, and, and now under his direction, the Hariri Center is advancing a, a very important strategy effort that was developed by Madeleine Albright and Steve Hadley to help move the Middle East towards a more stable footing and a prosperous future. Ambassador Alexander Vershbau is here also. He serves as a distinguished fellow in the Council's Brent Scowcroft Center. He most recently was Deputy, Secret Deputy Secretary General of NATO, but in his long career in Washington and overseas, he has served as ambassador to the Republic of Korea. He has served as ambassador to Russia and also served on the National Security Council and in senior positions at the Department of Defense. I think with that, now we'll turn to Ambassador Hoff for his uh, thoughts on this overall question. Well, well, thanks, Barry. Uh, you know, specifically, I, I believe in the context of Syria, the, uh, the first priority of the Trump administration uh, remains the defeat of the so-called Islamic State also known as ISIS, ISIL Daesh, in eastern Syria. Uh, that remains the priority. I think what's changed here is that uh, based, on, based on images uh, the president saw of the results of this horrific chemical attack, uh, he came to the conclusion that President Bashar al-Assad of Syria is an essential part of the problem he's trying to solve. Uh, this in itself is, uh, is, uh, is a bit of a remarkable evolution. I think we can all recall that during the presidential campaign, uh, candidate Trump alluded to the possibility of uh, even collaborating uh, with the Assad regime uh, against ISIS in Syria. Uh, that proposition uh, is now about as dead as anything I can imagine, quite frankly. Uh, the administration sees that Assad is part of the problem. It comes essentially, Barry, to the same analytical conclusion that the Obama administration did, uh, that when Assad engages in activities of this nature, whether he's using chemicals or barrel bombs or, 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 or the kitchen sink, he's, he's creating recruits for ISIS and al-Qaeda and others. When he does this sort of thing, he's undermining completely the prospects uh, for peace negotiations in Syria. 
uh, you know, with civilians on the bullseye, uh, the possibility of having civilized conversations, political compromise, <clears throat> nil. So the real question, I think, for the uh, for the Trump administration right now is, is this a is this a one-time, one-off, fire and forget gesture aimed at retaliating for a specific chemical issue, or does this begin a process where the Trump administration tries, in a comprehensive way, uh, to end the free ride uh, the Assad regime? has had in uh, creating mass homicide incidents. Hmm. Well, Fred, I think that's the essential question. I mean, my sense is that this was the president's response to the horrific images of the use of a, of a banned set of weapons right. uh, with the advice and counsel of, uh, in particular, of National Security Advisor McMaster and Secretary of Defense Mattis I think this was a very focused effort, yes, with the goal of uh, deterring future chemical weapons use. What was interesting to me, and I would love your views and those of Ambassador Vershbaugh, was when the Obama administration was planning in, in a very similar scenario. They had a, a somewhat expanded target set, and they used the opportunity of this retaliation to degrade uh, or they, they were planning to, to, to degrade the Assad regime's chemical weapon stocks, to degrade their broader war-making yeah. war capacity. And I think, more importantly, if I were uh, working on this, I would uh, make Assad personally a little, a little concerned. I wouldn't go after Assad, but I, wouldn't, I would make him feel a lot less safe. Yeah, giving, giving him something to worry about, uh, I think, definitely, definitely has some, uh, some merit. But look... I mean, you know, here, here, is the, here is the choice the Trump administration faces now. If you reflect back on what happened in 2013, uh, thanks to a Russian-American agreement, as you mentioned, Assad was relieved of most, if not all, obviously not all, of his chemical weapons. Uh, the lesson Assad learned from that incident was, I can attack people with anything I want. I can attack schools, hospitals, mosques, marketplaces, apartment blocks. I can do anything I want as long as I don't do it with chemicals. And that's precisely what he did, uh, creating the premier humanitarian catastrophe of the 21st century, uh, contributing ripple effects, if not tsunami effects, through a migrant crisis, through the neighbors on to Western Europe. That's exactly what he did. If all we're doing now is putting him in a position to do the same thing all over again, uh, then this particular attack, I think, will uh, will ultimately go down in history as a uh, as a particularly useless gesture. But you're right. The comments to date, the official comments from the administration, have focused on deterring chemical attacks. If that's all, if that's all it is, Assad will likely comply. We may not see chemicals anymore, uh, but we may see a full return to all the other bad things. Let me turn to Sandy in a, here, but in a second. But I think uh, Fred, your excellent intervention also uh, should be supplemented by the point that that I think I think Vladimir Putin's top goal is to break Europe and to break the Western alliance. And to the extent that his activities, his forces activities, Syrian forces activities in Syria create much more refugees 
that flow to Europe to help disintegrate, break the polity, create um, and foment right-wing parties. I think that's one of his top possible goals. So in many ways, it's a twofer for him. But now I want, we want to hear from Sandy Birchbow and all these questions. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. Uh, well, well, Barry, I would agree that when one thinks about the confrontation with uh, Vladimir Putin uh, in, in Europe, uh, he's definitely uh, seeking to break NATO and break the EU. Uh, I think his primary objective in Syria, going back to the initial intervention in 2015 and up to the present, has been preserving the Assad regime both as a matter of principle that the, the West shouldn't get away with regime change the way that uh, it managed to do with Gaddafi, with Yanukovych, and uh, in Putin's imagination, uh, he could be on the target list uh, down the road. Uh, so uh, I think that should be seen as, as the driver of, of the Russians' continued involvement. So it is, it is trying to displace U.S. influence uh, and to you know, help Assad defeat all of his enemies. In, in the Russians, of course, treat uh, all opposition forces as terrorists and therefore uh, uh, you know, have bombed indiscriminately uh, and, and allowed Assad to do the same. I think uh, the Russians, however, are probably surprised that the president did act, uh, you know, given that the signals, even in the days, much less uh, the, over the past years preceding this, suggested uh, that President Trump would be reluctant to get so directly engaged uh, against Assad. But, uh, but I think the Russians underestimated the, uh, the sense of commitment by the United States under all administrations, Republican and Democratic, to standing up for certain basic norms and using chemical weapons, particularly against civilians, against children, uh, really did uh, provoke legitimate outrage. So uh, I think the president did the right thing. Uh, the Russians clearly have failed to keep him in check. Uh, they allowed him to get this sense of impunity that he could do anything he wants. And uh, you know, they even uh, engaged in the same sort of cover-up that Assad himself engaged in trying to divert uh, people's understanding from what, what the facts demonstrated to some spurious uh, alternative theories. So, uh, so I think they're, they're a bit surprised, but I don't think their reaction is necessarily going to be to seek to escalate the situation. Uh, I do think that the administration is signaling that this is a one-off, that it's focused mainly on deterring further chemical attacks, and that it's not the opening round in, a, in an effort to, to sort of degrade or even destroy uh, the capabilities of the Assad regime. Uh, it may, I think it definitely will change the administration's view of uh, Assad's potential role in any, any settlement, I think, whereas a few days ago they were prepared to live with that, I think that's now out of the question, and it should be out of the question for a leader who has done this to his own people. It's fully disqualified himself if he hadn't done that uh, before. But the Russians' reaction, you know, while very harsh in rhetoric, uh, uh, and I think they, you know, they will continue to deny that there was any justification for this attack, but I think they're going to try to draw a line around this incident. Uh, significant that Lavrov said he hope that uh, this would not have irreversible effects on U.S.-Russian relations, kind of giving the sense that uh, they, they are still not giving up on working with the Trump administration. Uh, the deconfliction agreement was suspended, wasn't terminated, and hopefully after some decent interval, uh, perhaps after Secretary Tillerson's visit, uh, that will be reinstated. Uh, so I don't expect uh, the Russians to directly 
challenge the coalition's uh, ongoing operations against Raqqa. Uh, I think they'll try to keep Assad from uh, doing more, doing much more than perhaps retaliating indirectly, uh, perhaps in other countries to to terrorist acts against American uh, interests in Lebanon or other places. But uh, but I think for the Russians, and I would hope for Assad. Uh, uh, they would not uh, seek to provoke a, an open-ended conflict with the United States. Um, and it's clear to me that the administration is not looking for, for that. They want to keep the focus on ISIS uh, as the main reason for intervening in Syria. Uh, but, of course, events could take a different uh, a different turn. Uh, we're in somewhat uh, un- uncharted territory. A couple of responses, Sandy, I'd like to, and Fred, I'd like to ask you about. But, but first, um, I'd love the operator now to um, open the line for questions. Okay. All right. At this time, we will begin opening up for questions. Please press the star key followed by the one key on your touchtone phone now. Questions will be taken in the order in which they are received. Please be sure to introduce yourself when asking a question. If at any time you would like to remove yourself from the questioning queue, just press star two. Again, that's star one to ask a question. Um, Fred and... And, and Sandy, a couple of questions. I mean, it was interesting to me when you saw Russian footage of the base uh, that was displayed on Russian television uh, this morning. It showed um, damage, a little bit of damage to runways, not much. It showed damage to aircraft shelters. There were no aircraft at all on the base. And so clearly that says to me that U.S. advanced notification to the Russians uh, which was at least in sufficient time for the Russians to tell the Syrians, get your aircraft out of that, out of that air base. Maybe I'm assuming too much, but I thought that was very interesting. And again, it, it, you know, from a planner's point of view, a somewhat missed opportunity to cause a little bit of, impose a little bit of cost on, on Syria. And then that's a specific question. And then a broader question is, we now have Ambassador Haley, uh, talking about Assad as part of the problem and other administration officials. And I feel horrible that we're now back in Seoul and the administration's activities. It will lead once again to uh, significantly diminished U.S. credibility globally, as well as diminished leverage to move this toward the agenda that we seek. Uh, Barry, in terms of the uh, in terms of the attack itself, uh, yeah, footage I've, I've seen suggests uh, extensive extensive destruction. Uh, on the base, uh, all the buildings, canteens, and so forth. Uh, there is a Russian uh, uh, defense ministry report to the effect that uh, perhaps upwards of, uh, of a half dozen MiG-23s were, were caught inside of uh, one of the hangars. Uh, that again is a, is a you know is a is a Russian report. And then what about the broader question, Fred? Of um, you know, we're not, this administration seems like it's now back in the same. Sort of cycle well, we can, uh, you know, depending depending on the nature of the follow-up here, depending on depending on whether this administration has an attempt has uh, has, a, has an intent uh, to stop or at least complicate uh, Bashar al-Assad's free ride for mass homicide, uh, we could find ourselves in a time machine. We could be back in the summer of 2013. Uh, you know, where Assad decided, yeah, I, I really should refrain from chemicals, at least for a while, uh, but I will throw everything, everything but, but, <laughs> the, but the kitchen sink, and including the kitchen sink, at, at civilians. 
And, uh, and, and if, if that's the situation, we will be back. We will be back in exactly that place. Yeah. And it's, of course, not a more complicated situation because whereas we might have had the option in 2013 to launch attacks against a broader target set, as you said, Barry, uh, this time around we have to contend with the fact that the Russians are there. Yeah. And they weren't there three years ago. So it, uh, it limits our options even if we want to go down that road. Uh, so uh, saying Assad must go but not having a clear path to get there is, uh, is, is taking us back. Well, and, and, and I think one of the, uh, you know, one of the essential next steps that would, uh, that would take this administration out of Obama land, at least procedurally, uh, would be to move forward on a, on a national security strategy for Syria. Uh, for the entirety of the country, an integrated strategy uh, that addresses Assad, ISIS, Al Qaeda, mm-hmm. all the rest. Uh, the Obama administration uh, made it made it through with a with a seat of the pants approach to Syria. Uh, there was no such strategy. Uh, I think one of the interesting things to to, to look at here, and, and to me, it's much more than process because it will govern action ultimately. Uh, is whether uh, whether or not General McMaster can get get control of the uh, of the internal system of the interagency and uh, and produce something uh, that looks coherent uh, in terms of a, in terms of a strategy. I think that's all right. I mean, the one thing I would add, you know, we've gotten out of the process of of, of deliberate, calculated escalation ourselves, and I, I agree that with Russian forces in Syria, with U.S. forces you know, some number of U.S. Special Operations Forces is reported in Syria. We have to be, we are much more constrained, but we could do things such as declaring certain zones uh, to be uh, on our target list if we chose to escalate, and we would have to ask the Russians to not enter that zone. If they do so, then it's their responsibility. You know, I suspect, Barry, that there should be, uh, you know, uh, certainly when uh, Secretary Tillerson meets his counterpart, Mr. Lavrov, other contacts with the Russians, uh, there, there definitely should be some discussion about uh, Russian willingness and ability uh, to get their client out of this mass casualty business once and for all. If there is any sincerity at all uh, to the Russian attempt to uh, foster a genuine negotiations process in Geneva, and I'm not claiming there is, but if it exists, then, uh, then they need to make a real effort to get Assad out of this business. That's right. Um, Operator, we would like now to go to the first audience question, please. Okay. Our first question will come from Josh Rogan with the Washington Post. Uh, Hi, guys. Thanks for joining this call. Uh, This question is for Ambassador Hoff primarily. Uh, The chemical weapons attack was in Idlib, okay, and there was a reason for that, right? There's there's something going on in Idlib that remains after the strike. I'm wondering if you can sort of explain, you know, uh, why, first of all, why the regime is pressing Idlib and will take all these risks to use chemical weapons in Idlib, you know, what this means for Idlib in the wake of the, the, the retaliatory strike, and what should U.S. policy be to deal with this, you know, cauldron of, you know, people and groups and displaced persons and militias. Uh, it seems like it's going to be a big issue in the coming months, and uh, do we have any idea of, like, how we should, you know, deal with that? Yeah, well, uh, 
Yeah, thank you, Josh. Uh, Idlib, uh, Idlib province uh, in general remains the uh, the one the one piece of uh, northwestern Syria uh, that is uh, that is beyond the control of the Assad regime, and it is a real volatile mix of uh, of fairly heavily armed militias. Uh, you know, the former Nusra Front is up there. There are various uh, various other uh, other organizations, and uh, you know, clearly, for there to be a deliberate conventional military campaign, uh, this would be way beyond the capability of Assad's army, which is essentially broken, uh, and it would require uh, you know a, a real slog for all of these uh, Shia militias that the Iranians have brought into the country. So, so it's quite possible uh, that what Assad calculated is that the, re the return to the use of, of sarin uh, would give him the opportunity to shortcut this process uh, by introducing an element of sheer terror uh, that he believed the West would not would not respond to. Hmm. So now, what's what's he going to do now, and what do we do in response to an Idlib? You know, you know, you know what what he does what he does is uh, is uh, going to be governed by his perception of uh, of what he faces. If Bashar al-Assad decides that this is the one time, one off, fire and forget gesture, uh, he will likely do his best impersonation of Winston Churchill and say, this was our finest hour. I stood up and I took all the United States could throw at me. And he will turn this into, uh, you know, some kind of an internal uh, political victory for himself. This is why, you know, notwithstanding the statements that have come out that have specifically linked all of this to the chemical, uh, chemical attack, this is why I think it is important for the Trump administration to get the message to the Russians. You've got to get you've got to get your guy out of this business. We're not just talking about chemicals. Uh, our options are open if this uh, if this character uh, returns uh, to mass casualty events. And, and should the U.S. support uh, Syrian rebel groups that we're friendly with in Idlib and arm them and start that whole process over again? Is that a good yes. idea? I mean, absolutely. I think we I think we should, Josh. I mean, look these these groups these units are fighting a three-way battle right now. They're fighting against the regime. They're fighting against al-Qaeda. They're fighting against ISIS. Uh, they, need our, they need our support. And, and look, under current circumstances, when a Syrian pilot takes off uh, to do one of these terror missions, the only thing he is worried about is whether or not he's got gas in the tank. That is literally the only thing he's worrying about. Uh, there are units on the ground with which we have had relationships for years. I think we ought to give serious consideration uh, to uh, to manpads to these units, uh, so that these pilots uh, at least have something to worry about that they know it's not going to be a free ride. Thank you, Fred and uh, Josh. And let's go to the next question, please. Our next question will come from Laura Cron with CNN. Hi, thank you for doing the call. My question is primarily for Ambassador Vershbaugh. Uh, I'm wondering if you can expand on how you see this latest spat with the Russians playing out next week when Secretary Tillerson's in Moscow, um, assuming, of course, that the trip goes forward as, as planned, 
And realistically, how much does this complicate Secretary Tillerson's efforts to find cooperation with Russia on other issues? Thank you. Well, clearly it complicates uh, the bilateral relationship in the short term, at least. Uh, uh, the Russians already, I think, have had declining expectations of some kind of uh, real warming in relations with the Trump administration uh, in light of events uh, over the last few months. And, uh, you know, the more uh, tough line that's been expressed by the administration on uh, on Ukraine and, and other, other particularly contentious issues. Uh, but I think this is a, well, at the same time an opportunity, and I agree to some extent with the spread, that uh, if the administration kind of uses this to say that, you know, look, we're not looking for an open-ended military campaign against Assad, but... Uh, but, you know, the time has come for Russia to make a choice. Is it going to kind of shield him uh, without any uh, constraint, you know, give him total impunity in what he's been doing against the civilian population, or is it going to actually use some of the leverage that Russia has gained by, by saving his bacon, by intervening in the first place, uh, to steer things towards an outcome that could actually lead to some kind of long-term solution that might involve, uh, you know, some complex issues about partitioning Syria, but if Russia wants a, a, an endless civil war, they will continue to shield Assad. I think Tillerson has to keep the message. Uh, uh, if, if you want to bring this to an end, giving Assad impunity has, has to stop. But the question is, will the administration be prepared to you know, threaten the or else part of that, that message? That's unclear, because so far we've, we have heard that the, the strikes were meant to be largely a, a political signal, demonstration of resolve, uh, outrage against the uh, breaching of the norm against CWUs, but not the start of an extended campaign to really degrade uh, the full spectrum of capabilities that Assad has been using to terrorize his, his own people. Uh, so I think the administration needs to think through clearly what is that message, because without an or else, it's not going to be a credible message. Right. Let's go to the next question, please. Okay, our next question comes from Greg Hellman with Politico. Mr. Hellman, please make sure you're not on mute. Can you hear me now? Yes. Hello? Yes, I'm yes. sorry, I was on mute. Apologies for that. Um, thank you all for uh, taking the call. Uh, very interesting information. Um, my question is an open question, uh, and uh, I'm hoping somebody can just kind of uh, weigh in uh, as, as you'd like. Uh, I'm curious uh, how you view uh, the optics of uh, the, this, how the, how the optics, what the optics of this airstrike looks like in foreign capitals uh, around the world. And I'm particularly thinking of uh, kind of China, North Korea, uh, and uh, also, uh, you know, other rivals in the region like Iran. Um, what type of message, uh, in your view, does this send uh, for kind of uh, Trump's uh, broader foreign policy? This is Barry. I mean, I'll be very brief. I mean, I know I've already communicated with, with colleagues in, in Beijing, and, and they think the Chinese uh, perceive this as very much directed uh, towards North Korea, um, that we now have an administration that is willing to use force um, to defend its red line, to advance its interests. Um, and just like the Syria red line in 2013 that uh, was a military operation never happened and had enormous damaging credibility uh, for our alliances in Europe uh, and Asia as well as our uh, security partnerships in the Middle East, 
I think this, at least, is a down payment on restoring uh, Allied uh, confidence in the United States' uh, willingness. We always had the ability, but in our willingness to back up those security commitments with, uh, if needed, with the use of actual military force. We have a long way to go, but it's a step. And I, I would love to hear Ambassador Birchbaum's thoughts on this. No, I would, I would agree. I think, uh, you know, one, one night of airstrikes doesn't, uh, establish a, you know, a track record, but, uh, it clearly, uh, shows that this administration is, uh, ready to use force, uh, if, uh, if lines are crossed. Uh, I think countries like China, uh, Iran, and, and Russia itself, uh, will be kind of looking for what comes next. Will the administration try to parlay this into some greater leverage to actually end the crisis, or at least begin to move in that direction in uh, in uh, Syria, uh, or will it be uh, largely a political gesture? Uh, but uh, but I think for China, the, perhaps the message is fairly fairly stark. Uh, and I hope it was expressed to Xi Jinping uh, in the course of the meeting that. Uh, rogue state clients of, of major powers you know, cannot uh, be allowed to get away with this sort of reckless behavior to destabilize their regions and threaten U U.S. allies if, uh, with, with, you know, without consequences. And so perhaps this will increase uh, the clarity of the message to China that they have to do more to rein in the, the North Korean regime, uh, to squeeze that regime, even at the, at the uh, risk of potential instability, for that regime, uh, because the the threat there from the nuclear programs of North Korea is on the same destabilizing level as uh, what Assad is doing uh, in Syria and in the greater Middle East. Next question. Thank please. you. Our next question comes from Margaret Warner with PBS NewsHour. Hi, gentlemen. Thank you for doing this. Well, let me see if I'm. Can you all hear me? Mm -hmm. Yes. Oh, great, thanks. Um, so there are reports that the U.S. is investigating whether Russia was even involved in some way with the use of chemical weapons. What What do we know about, or what do you know about, to what degree Russia really knows what the Syrian military is doing, you know, step by step? And if that turns out to be true in any way, uh, what do you think would, would be the consequences? Uh, the reporters know that there was a drone, you know, drone circling over the area and over a hospital, and then that there was an attack on the hospital. Yeah, uh, Margaret, this is Frank. Um, I, I guess, I guess I could, I guess I could say at the outset that uh, that there is nothing we really know per se about uh, how much the Russian military, uh, you know, understands about the uh, the operational priorities or practices of its Syrian client. I'm sure that that uh, I'm sure that that information is is uneven. Uh, uh, Ambassador Vershbaum may have a different view entirely, uh, but it would not it would not surprise me in the least if we learn in the fullness of time uh, that Russia had no idea uh, that its client was going to take this step. And that Russia was enraged and outraged uh, over this when it uh, when it learned about it. 
you know, to the best of my knowledge, when the uh, you know when the cruise missile attack took place, uh, you know, Russian you know air def air defenses were not were not activated. I you know I would not rule out the possibility uh, that the Russians were quite all right with their client getting a punch in the nose here. Uh, if I were to, you know, try to put myself in Vladimir Putin's position here, I'm asking myself, what in the world is going on? We and the Iranians have put you in the catbird seat, both militarily and politically. Why in the world are you doing this? Uh, and Assad, of course, would have his own reasons to do it. And, and one of the reasons could be, uh, to dissuade the Russians from pushing too hard on this Geneva process. Bashar al-Assad believes he resides at the center of the universe. He believes that the Russians and the Iranians need him much more than he needs them. Uh, he, may have, uh, he may have done this uh, you know, with very, very, very bloody-minded motives, uh, including, including the fact that in the end, uh, the Russians would have to uh, swallow deep and just take it. I'd like to ask a related question of both of you. I mean, to, to what extent do you think Russian uh, government, Russian forces, Russian intelligence knew that Assad did not get rid of all his chemical weapons? Mm. They, my yeah. sense is they had to know that. Well, we have no evidence of that. Uh, and I think it's more likely that they that they didn't know, uh, but uh, and, and in that sense, they probably are at least privately livid that uh, Assad did cheat, and, and then had the stupidity not only to cheat in possessing them, but to actually go even further and use them. Uh, so perhaps, as, as Fred suggested, privately they're uh, going to take Assad to the woodshed and said, well, you know, what do you think you're doing? You're you're embarrassing us. Uh, so you know, the, the original question, you know, what if they were involved in this use of chemical weapons? Again, there's no evidence that I've seen or heard about that suggests that. It would certainly be quite explosive if we, if we were to learn that. Uh, but uh, I, I think there's even some limits uh, in how far the Russians are prepared to go. Because uh, I think ultimately they, they still don't want to precipitate deeper U.S. involvement against Assad. I think... They've been working within a, a very comfortable paradigm where they can uh, work at least in parallel, if not in coordination, with coalition efforts against terrorist organizations, but protect Assad and count on the fact that uh, the U.S. and the U.S.-led coalition are focusing strictly on ISIS. Uh, they don't want to break that paradigm if they can avoid it. So Assad has led them in the absolutely wrong direction from their point of view. No, this is quite right. And, there's a, you know, there's a, there's a precedent from 2013 and all of this when, uh, you know, when what the Russians saw from the red line crisis was that uh, the use of chemical weapons could, could interest even Barack Obama <laughs> in considering uh, retaliatory strikes. Good point, Fred. Um, can we go to the next question, please? And the operator at some point may want to instruct we reiterate the instructions for questions. Yes, sir. Again, to ask a question, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad. And our next question will come from Howard LaFrenchi with the Christian Science Monitor. Hi. Uh, can you hear me? Am I, am I good? Yeah. 
Yeah, thank, uh, yeah thanks for doing this. Um, uh, pretty much my question had to do with uh, Tillerson's uh, mission um, next week to Moscow, and it was pretty much answered. But um, I would like to then uh, follow up. Um, so do you, would you expect um, Tillerson to be as, as patient and sort of long-suffering um, as Kerry was with Lavrov, you know, just on the East Aleppo question, and um, and what will um, you know what will determine you know what he what he goes tries to get out of uh, Lavrov. Uh, this is uh, Ambassador Bushman. Uh I, I think it's probably humanly impossible to be as patient as Secretary Kerry was, yeah, and it's probably uh, not. Uh, Something I would recommend because Lavrov is a master of uh, of duplicity and uh, uh, giving with one hand and taking away with the other in in these sorts of engagements. So I think we have to uh, be much blunter with the Russians and uh, you know, tell them it's put up or shut up time with uh, with respect to Assad. Uh, but again, uh, how far the administration intends to go uh, needs to be thought through before we. Uh, present that kind of message to, to the Russians. Uh, there are other issues on which, uh, uh, you know, hopefully this visit will, will also engage with the Russians on, including the uh, ongoing crisis in Ukraine, where, again, uh, you know, three years since the uh, aggression, since the illegal annexation of Crimea, Russia and its proxies have uh, failed to deliver on any of what they've committed to under the Minsk Agreement. So there, too, uh, a tough message is needed. Uh, that if the Russians want a better relationship, they have to solve the problem that has caused the breakdown in relations, which is their illegal uh, aggression uh, against Ukraine and the continued fomenting of this insurgency in eastern Ukraine. So there's more than just uh, Syria on the agenda. But in terms of Syria on the agenda, I think one, one key difference here is that, uh, is that for, well, for well over a year, uh, you know, John Kerry uh, put on a real tour de force of uh, leverage-free diplomacy, and and Rex Tillerson uh, doesn't have that disadvantage right now. He's uh, you know he's going to Moscow uh, after uh, after his commander in chief having made a decision to uh, to hit something in Syria. Uh, this is uh, this is considerably different. I think I think that when the Secretary of State engages his uh, Russian counterpart on the issue of Syria, uh, an early and accurate indication of whether any progress is possible will be how Mr. Lavrov addresses the issue of actual of what actually happened on the fourth of April in Syria. Uh, if what uh, Lavrov is going to do uh, with Tillerson privately is simply repeat the fake news account uh, that the Russian uh, representative up in uh, New York at the Security Council has used, uh, then at least in the context of Syria, there's, there's no there there, frankly, in terms of any kind of American-Russian uh, collaboration. Uh, the Russians know quite well what happened in Syria. Uh, their intelligence is not blind to these things. Uh, you know, their, their military has enough presence uh, to determine exactly what happened. Uh, if Mr. Lavrov is willing to, uh, is willing to speak uh, realistically about real events, 
this might be an indicator uh, that there is uh, some possibility of progress uh, with the Russians on Syria. I would agree with that. I, well, I wouldn't expect that to be in the public. I think the Russians, unfortunately, the Russians, unfortunately, I think are digging in the deeper and deeper by the minute on this uh, false version of events Absolutely. and uh, refusing to accept the, uh, the evidence, including the forensic evidence that it was found. Yes. Why don't we go to the next uh, question, please? All right. Our next question comes from Emily today with Newsweek. Hi there. Um, I just wanted to ask about, um, we've talked a lot about strategy and, and next steps and, and where the administration goes from here, but on a background call with um, some White House officials just recently, they declined to elaborate at all on next steps. They said they didn't want to telegraph their moves, and it seems to be consistent with sort of this approach that Trump has um, to not want to disclose very much at all about foreign affairs or his policies um, sort of in the vein of being unpredictable. I was curious what you think about that, given that there's such a lack of clarity on his strategy and his policy in the Middle East right now, um, if they maintain this silence around this, if that's a positive or a negative or risky or what? Uh, my, this is Fred Hoff. My own, my own view, and I'll be very brief, is that I think the explanation is probably more uh, prosaic than, uh, than any of us would normally suspect. And that is that, uh, that a system has not yet been in place. It's in the process of being established now by General McMaster uh, to actually draw on the interagency to craft a strategy. I think, uh, you know, if you, if, you, if you talk to administration officials, even people at a relatively senior level, what, you know, what can, they, what can they tell you, really? Uh, you know, unless they can, you know, divine what's going on in the head of the President of the United States. I, I suspect, uh, I suspect that General McMaster is, uh, is going to be successful in, uh, in implementing something, uh, very, very systematic, uh, but he's, uh, he's not quite there yet, I think. I think that's right, and of course, uh, added problem is the lack of so many positions, uh, being filled with the senior officials that need to be part of the process. But uh, also uh, the decision taken to launch last night's strike was, was a part of a very fast-moving process, and I think uh, they may not have had a fully developed policy uh, when the trigger was pulled. Uh, but there is time. I think the key, the key uh, forcing event is the visit by Tillerson to Moscow, uh, hopefully at least in terms of the private messages they're going to convey to Putin and to Lavrov uh, that they will work this out because we do need to – be very clear to the Russians what we're prepared to do if they continue to shield their clients and continue to uh, pretend that he didn't uh, use chemical weapons. Uh, uh, that, that's where we need a strategy, both for the immediate crisis situation and the longer-term future of Syria. Let's go to the next question, please. Next, we have Trudy Rubin with the Philadelphia Inquirer. Um, hi. Thanks very much for doing this. Um, I wonder, and forgive me if you've talked on this because I had to step out for a couple of minutes, but first of all, do you think that the Russians were complicit in this? Because since they had personnel on the air base, it seems hard to imagine they didn't know what was going on. And secondly, um, on the issue of safe zones, which Trump and Tillerson keep speaking about, uh, the Kurds think that the Turkish um, use for a safe zone would be basically 
to gather up manpower to attack the Kurds, that it wouldn't be a safe zone, it would be a military zone. Um, so do you see any use in calling for safe zones at this point? Uh, well, hi, Trudy, this is Fred Hoff. In terms hi, of, uh, in terms of uh, Russian advanced knowledge, I, I, believe my, my, I, I believe the Russians were given uh, something uh, between an hour, hour and a half advance notice uh, that the attack was uh, was going to take place. So oh, I don't mean the U.S. attack. Oh, I mean, did the Russians that, uh, know uh, that Syria was going to uh, use gas? Yeah, yeah. We, we we did discuss this earlier. We, you know, the, the short answer is we don't know. My strong suspicion is that the Russians did not know, and I would go even further to say that uh, I, my, you know, my suspicion is that the Russians were outraged uh, by what their uh, by what their wayward client did. Uh, in terms of uh, in terms of the chemicals, uh, on safe on safe zones, look, if if the campaign against ISIS is executed properly in eastern Syria, uh, to include a post-combat stabilization plan that makes sense, drawing upon local people, drawing upon Syrian civil servants who know how to flip on and off the electricity. All of that, uh, if we are willing to keep the Assad regime out, much of Syria, certainly all of eastern Syria, can become the mother of all safe zones, uh, you know, for a period of time. Uh, the United States would even have the option of linking together local administrations in the form of a government uh, that it would be able to recognize. Right now, you know, unfortunately, we continue to recognize Bashar al-Assad as the president of the Syrian Arab Republic. To me, this is, uh, to me, this is disgraceful. Uh, and there should be, there should be an alternative. But the way I look at it, uh, the only thing that really, really, really makes sense in terms of a, of a sort of formal safe zone is is eastern Syria. You've got you've got a you know de facto safe zone, I guess, in the Euphrates Valley, and uh, to some extent you've got one uh, in southwestern Syria uh, near the Jordanian border. Let's go to the next question, please. All right, our next question is from Nicole Gliet with CNN. Thanks so much for doing this call. Can you hear me? Yes. Great. Um, so we have administration officials telling us that the strike shouldn't be interpreted as the beginning of any wider campaign to weaken or remove Assad. Um, this official was saying that the mission was, was very focused on demonstrating the unacceptability of chemical weapons. Um, if this just remains, as Fred put it, a, a fire-and-forget one-off, if there is no fully developed broader strategy. Can, can you speak to what the, um, the risks to U.S. national interests might be? Uh, sure. And, and look, let's, uh, you know, let's just stipulate up front. There is uh, no more interest in this administration than there was in the Obama administration in invasion, occupation, and even violent regime change. Uh, that does not exist. Uh, the key, the key question here is, if this, if this is just going to be one-off, if it's just going to apply to this event, uh, you have the, you have the possibility of Bashar al-Assad 
renewing a civilian-centric mass homicide program uh, using everything else except chemicals, putting us right back in the uh, in the summer of uh, of 2013 after the uh, after the chemical deal. You've got uh, you know you've got Assad parading around uh, saying that uh, you know essentially he's faced down the United States, uh, and you have a you have a situation where uh, violent extremists in uh, in Syria and elsewhere. Uh, will have a, uh, a real asset in terms of recruiting. Uh, you also you also have absolutely no basis uh, for peace negotiations in Syria. So, um, I, you know, on the one hand, I can see some utility in trying to reassure the Russians that uh, you know that this is a, this is a one-time strike. It does not presage an American invasion of Syria. Uh, I mean, you never know what the Russians are thinking. I've, you know, I've, uh, as, a, as, a, as a Middle East guy, I've lived with a lot of conspiracy theorizing. Frankly, I've seen nothing that beats the Russians uh, in that in that particular uh, category. Uh, but I think I think at the same time, you know, if this administration is not going to look at this as potentially the opening shot in ending the free ride for mass murder. It's asking. For trouble. Uh, let's let's hope that this one shot did it. Let's hope that this one shot has uh, persuaded Bashar al-Assad that this is a, a bad road to go down, whether it's chemicals or not. But uh, but let's not count on it. I would agree with uh, everything Fred said. But clearly, it's a it's a tough decision for the administration. Yep. Even to uh, introduce some ambiguity uh, as to what the next steps might be, which might Convince the Russians to uh, to rein in their clients more effectively than they ever had uh, raises the potential that if, if it doesn't work, you have to uh, be prepared to to take some further steps to degrade at least to degrade Assad's capabilities for wreaking havoc on the civilian population, even if it isn't a full fledged regime change with ground forces, et cetera. And doing that now versus in 2013. Uh, is, is more complicated because you've got yeah. the Russians, you've got yeah. air defenses, which the Russians today have announced are going to be beefed up further, which could uh, not only threaten pilots involved in the anti-Assad dimension of this, if, yeah. if there is one, but could also uh, reduce our uh, capacity to finish the job in Raqqa, which is supposed to be the uh, you know the number one priority in all this. So, uh, but that's why we say presidents and their yeah. security teams the big bucks. Big bucks. Yeah. <laughs> Sandy and Frank, I just ask you uh, a question about the Syrian air defenses. I mean, ha are they tired like the rest of the Syrian forces, or are they not because they haven't had to do a, do a whole lot? Um, and how worried should um, U.S. pilots be about Syrian air defenses when um, they know, I would assume Sy anyone from the Syrian military manning those air defenses knows that the second there's a shot, against a U.S. pilot, that will be the end of the Syrian battery and maybe the entire Syrian integrated air defense network, or maybe I'm putting it too starkly. How worried should we be about Syrian yeah. air defense? Well, I think uh, we, we have to be somewhat worried in the sense that the Russians have been upgrading it. They've been giving uh, the Syrians the, the recent generation surface-to-air missile systems, the S-300 and the S-400. Uh, so uh, I think... The, uh, they're largely deployed in, in the western areas so that an effort to go after the forces 
engaged in the major strikes against civilians would uh, come up against that system more directly. There's fewer assets in the East that could be used to, to, to uh, interfere with the, the strikes against Raqqa. Uh, but I think that uh, we couldn't put some losses, although I think over, in a sustained effort we can uh, eventually take it down. But that would really mean we're all in. Uh, yeah. So it's a, it's a, it can't be ignored as a, as a factor as part of the that tough decision making that our decision. No, and I, uh, what I, you know, what I can recall from my time in government a few years ago is that this is a, it's a, it's a rather uh, sophisticated, uh, overlapping system uh, that can, in fact, reach in terms of range uh, almost uh, almost all uh, airspace uh, over Syria. Uh, what I recall in particular is uh, is uh, uh, Air Force officers uh, when asked about the uh, about the possibilities of no-fly zones in particular, uh, responding to the effect that uh, that one of the uh, one of the requirements would be to uh, would be to suppress this system, and that uh, that could take upwards of uh, of two months in terms of a uh, sustained bombing campaign. Well, uh, I think my takeaway from your comments is that it's a relatively sophisticated air defense system, but we do also have to remember the, the classic and understandable military, professional military caution. I think we heard very similar, we heard some similar concerns before the Libyan air campaign about the Libyan air defense network. But I agree that the Syrian air defense network is, is, is more, has more capacity and is more generally capable and sophisticated, especially with Russian. Russians have their own assets yeah. there too. Yeah. So, <laughs> as far as the Syrian, my, my sense is if they were if if, if if they were engaged in a in a sustained way, uh, they would not be able to sustain their own operations for very long. Mm -hmm. But as former Secretary of Defense Bob Gates said, this means you're you're at war. You're bad if you you're if you engage in that kind of. Campaign, which is called suppression of enemy air defenses, hence spreads the use of the term suppress. Yeah. Um, with that uh, last military operational lesson, uh, <laughs> I want to thank our excellent speakers and all of you on the line today, and no doubt we'll be convening again in this fashion very soon. <laughs> thank you very much.